personally really excited today here uh, to we, we're, we're able to speak with Jerry Chandler over at Synapse Films. So uh, co-founder and uh, uh, big, big fan of horror movies. And, and I'm sure we'll get into a lot of his passion. Uh, very passionate guy. So, Jerry, thanks so much for making time. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. So, you know, Synapse is one of these funny labels, which uh, if you're for people that are just diving into collecting now, let's say for, for Blu-rays. They may know you as sort of a steelbook company that has these cool, you know, Massacre at Central High, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, The Kindred, right? These, these, these titles that have been, uh, I don't know, are you, are you active on Reddit by chance? Not me personally, okay. no. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, so there, these are the ones that every time it pops up, it's like, oh, look at the beautiful artwork. Like, look, at, you know, so that might be how people are sort of familiar with Synapse uh, now, but the legacy is quite extensive. And actually, I, I wanted to bring attention to just the, the company and the, and the, you know, how long y'all have been around and a lot of that. So just for maybe 90 seconds or so, is it possible just to give kind of a background of when Synapse started and how long y'all have actually been producing physical media? I think people would be really interested in this. Sure. We actually got started in 1996 and uh, my business partner, Don May Jr. was actually involved in the industry for a couple, two, three years before that with Elite Entertainment. Yep. Um, he had a, uh, let's just put it nicely, it's ancient history. He had a falling out, and I'm making the quote sign, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> uh, with his partner. And uh, him and I, I mean, it's an old story. As a matter of fact, I think, uh, you know, years ago, a professor in the Detroit area shot a documentary on us called the synapse story and if you go to google or youtube and you uh it's in four parts you could find it and you could watch you could get some of this history um i hate talking about the same things over and over so to make a long story short we started in 96 and we started with uh dario argento's world of horror yep. and document of the dead and our uh that's where we got our relationship with, you know, it started with Roy Frumkiss. And from there we went on to do street trash and the sweet life and two other versions of document of the dead for him. And he's probably one of our best friends in the, in the business right now. It's we've known him for so many years. And uh, at some point we're putting out a 4k of street trash. That's amazing. We don't have it. Uh, scheduled or anything but we promised roy and we're going to do it one of these days it could be a few years away but we are going to do it so well, you're, not, you're not too far from your 30th anniversary so maybe there's a good <laughs> well we'd like to get it out before then you yeah, know that's true. We'll, we'll see <laughs> that's true uh you know so yeah and uh that's where we got our start and today we probably have 300 titles between our two labels so amazing uh yeah no that's what always surprises me is the depth of your catalog as well when you go on and really kind of dig around in there so um they, they, one of the things we've been fortunate enough to speak now to several of these you know sort of boutique labels and people that are really in in, in the uh, mindset of kind of preserving these horror films and preserving these genre films one of the things i've noticed is that a lot of the times the label take on the personalities of the owners and so i'm curious you know it, just for uh, as a way of kind of meeting you like, what's your story of how you got into genre films and horror films? And like, how's that, what is that journey like for you that got you to, to the point where uh, this is how you wanted to do what you wanted to do for your life? You know, your listeners can't see me, but you can. And you see all that white uh, at the top of the screen. That's my <laughs> hair. 
Uh-huh. Uh, you know, to go back to how I got into this genre, we would have to go back to 1962. Okay. I was three years old. All right. And my parents used to watch a show called The Outer Limits, the original Outer Limits. And right. I was not allowed to see it because it was way too scary for me. Uh-huh. So my mom would put me in bed and then she'd walk out of the room. And as she walked out of the room, I would get out of bed, <laughs> crawl to the back of the living room and hide underneath the chair she was sitting in. And it's funny, she would always catch me towards the end of the episode and forget about it for the next week because I did it over and over and over again. And I just loved it. And even at three, four years old, I knew I liked The Outer Limits way more than The Twilight Zone because The Twilight Zone didn't have monsters. Uh And, uh, you know, that's literally how I got into it. I'm more of a monster movie fan than I am an intense gore fan. Although I, you know, I like gory movies, but I've never been a huge fan of slashers. So when I raised my daughters, I always allowed them to see whatever monster movie they wanted to see when they were little kids. And I kind of steered them away from the slashers. Uh, My mother never let me see anything. Everything I had to do, I had to do on the sly. And I didn't want want my daughters to suffer that way. But that's how I got into the business. Excuse me. That's not how I got into the business. That's how I got into horror to start. Yeah, I have a similar story about right around five or something. In that age, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street. And it didn't scare me. It actually, I was just like, fascinated by it and then from then on i i sort of knew that that was going to be where i could spend my focus um uh so i just re-watched demons recently actually and uh, speaking of monster movies that kind of goes right in between that slasher and kind of a monster movie but it's it, i was surprised at how gory it was i'd forgotten how gory it was um but i i bring it up to say that you know one of the things that's always interested me about uh, companies like synapse that have been doing this in the 90s and 2000s was it wasn't as easy to get rights back then, right? Uh, it's so- never easy to get rights. Okay. It's never easy to get rights. And some of uh, my competitors don't even bother. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's not easy to get rights now. And it wasn't back then either. And But there's a, I think there's a little less competition now than there used to be. I mean, when we started, we were one of the first boutique labels out there and then a bunch of others followed and it got very crowded for a while and then of course you know it's you know it can't be sustained uh we had to actually find a niche to survive in, in this business and you know what our niche is that we do differently than all our competitors is our level of restoration well i mean you, you kind of uh you, you tipped on something i was going to ask about so what is it that makes you so passionate about these restorations? And can you walk through it all how that happens? Because just the Kindred, for example, is, is a recent example, right? The film is, it will never look better than this, right? I mean, it's beautiful. Um, how, how, what, what do you have, like, is this internal? Do you work with people? Like, can you talk at all about this process and why that was so important to you? You know, the process is really a Don question and we'll have to save that for the, the Don interview. Uh, you know, we, Synapse is an extremely small company. It's Don and myself, our lawyer and my daughter. So the principals are Don and myself. And because the company is so small, but so large, there 
we don't have any overlap in what we do. I handle all business affairs. He handles all restoration. But I can give you an interesting story on, on the Kindred because, you know, uh, there's some uh, websites and boards and stuff like that where a, a lot of the fans seem to be less than friendly. They're almost like troll sites. And we've been trolled a lot about the length of time it takes us to do our restorations. It's, I compare it to childbirth. If you go into a hospital, a maternity ward, you hear the women screaming and screaming because they're in so much pain. But once that child's delivered, they're smiling and they, they have this, they're, they're happy. They seem to forget about what they went through. Otherwise, okay. we'd be all single kid families. <laughs> This is the same kind of thing. You know, we may, we're making mistakes by announcing things too soon. And, you know, Don is such an amazing restorationist. Uh, for example, it took us five years to do Suspiria. And one solid year of that five years was waiting for, I believe it was Sony, to give us the 4.0 audio. 4.1, whatever it was, he's the technical guy. Yeah. But there were only a few movies ever made with that audio. And he wanted to, it's in that style of audio is important to the film Suspiria. So we held the project so it could be included. And of course, our version is the only version that has that 4.0 option on it. Um, so why do I bring that up? Because, you know, the good news is we're known for our restorations. The bad news is we're known for the length of time it takes sometimes to do these restorations. So nothing took as long as the Kindred. The Kindred was a 16-year project. 16, okay. 16 years. We were offered the film by the Screen Actors Guild, okay. and we bought it from them. And then we were sued by the film owners. <laughs> because they said the Screen Actors Guild had no right to take the movie from us. Oh, interesting. So they sued us and the Screen Actors Guild. And uh, we are not evil people. As a matter of fact, we're really nice people. And we really like the person who is the producer of the film. Um, and we said to him, look, we have no axe to grind with you. You know, uh, if you will give us what we paid SAG to us, back we'll give you the move all the rights and please let us out of this and then we'll go and testify for you uh, as to what sag offered us and everything like that so he readily agreed which cemented our relationship with him and then he had to go and fight with sag and and they settled and then there was all kinds of other legal issues but they finally got solved so we had done our original transfer in 2006 a high def transfer and don had started working on it it was probably 10, 11 years later when everything finally got settled and the producer went and licensed it to us because he went from suing us to licensing it to us because I guess we handled it right. And he liked us and we liked him too. You know, he's, he was a very nice guy. He passed away recently, which is very, very sad. So, okay. So then in 2000, I think it was 16 or around there, Don's, you know, we finally get the, a, a legitimate license and we're going to work, start working on the Kindred or finish wrapping it up. And Don said, you know what? We're starting from scratch. I said, what? He goes, yeah, the 
uh, industry has changed and I can make this look a lot better than it, than the product that I'm about, you know, we're about to finish. So I said, okay, Don, you know, your, our reputation is due to your work. So who am I to say stand in your way? Yeah. I said, the fans aren't going to like it, but go for it. Uh And he went, we did a brand new transfer in 4k and we did a full brand new restoration and everything. And you could see that it looks amazing. So everybody was, was very happy. Um, Nobody likes to wait. Nobody likes to wait 16 years or five years or whatever. Uh But if you don't allow us to do things the way we need to do them, then you don't get that product. And if we're not doing it, who's, who's going to do it? Sure. Really? Who's going to, to take the heat from the fans, spend the money that you're not going to recoup and all this stuff for the films. We're pretty much the only people. That's interesting though, because, you know, it's almost like, let's say that in the situation where the fans are complaining and then you put out a beautiful product, then the second time there's an announcement and there's a delay, like at some point you think they would kind of get that there's, Nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. There's always new people. And, okay. and you know, look, they're not a hundred percent wrong. I, what, what Don and I gleaned from the complaints was that maybe we should keep our mouths shut and we'll announce stuff when it's almost ready or ready. Like we did with demons, demons Two, uh phenomena and the new tenebrae that's coming. Yeah. We did all the work. Nobody even knew we were working on the 4K versions. Mm-hmm. And boom. So this seems to be better. So do you blame the fans for being impatient? You can, but it seems to our change in the way we do things seems to have cured some of these problems. Now, the fans are honest about other things, which I'll explain to you in a, in a moment. But I do want to say this. When I say the fans, you know, it's like it reflects this country. I, my personal opinion is 5% of us are on the far right, 5% are on the far left, and the other 90% of us are, we're all together, black, white, whatever your race and color is, we're all Americans, we're all in this together, we all want the best for, for the world, but the loud voices are all the news, that's all we hear. So we think this our entire country hates one another, and I don't believe that. And it's the same thing in this industry. You have about 5% of the fans that are vocal, and 95 just like you and appreciate you, and they're very, very quiet. So of that 5%, you got about 2.5% that absolutely love you, and 2.5% that absolutely hate you for whatever reason because maybe they like one of your competitors more or maybe they're jealous that they you know you're in that industry that they love so much they love horror and you're in it and maybe they're jealous for that little do they know this is just a job like all the other jobs with its ups and downs and things you love and things you hate and i lose sleep over so i mean it's not as glamorous as it seems so Pretty much, you know, if, if I, when I say the fans and I say they hate us, I'm talking about maybe two and a half percent of fandom out there. That's about it. I mean, what's to hate? We're very nice people. We make a very nice product. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
So here's here's our current controversy. Okay. Back when we first did the Demons and Demons 2 Steelbooks, which were our first steelbooks, this was maybe six, seven years ago. I don't know. You might know, remember better. 2013, than 2014, somewhere in that time. Frame. Okay. We were working out of a little office in uh, Romulus, Michigan. It's where the Detroit Metro Airport is. All right. And I made friends with people at the tiny Romulus post office and I got them to come on, on Saturday and Sunday. And we, you know, we had to do 3000 boxes, labels, you know, it was very difficult. We ended up working that entire week and maybe for four days, there were some fans that knew about it and were actually sending us pizzas to the office. If you can believe that really kind, kind, wonderful people out there, but it was too much. And I was, I was only in my early fifties back then. And, you know, these days I'm in my sixties and it's very difficult to do that level of, of loading and packing and going back and forth to the post office. So what we did was we hired our replicators in, I, maybe I shouldn't even use their name, but in San Francisco, they said to us, don't worry guys, we could access your PayPal. We could do everything for you. We'll, we'll do your shipments for you and they'll go out on time and you won't have to worry and no one will be complaining because some of the people would complain, Hey, my friend's timestamp was at 6.45 a.m. and mine was at 6.42 a.m. and he got his before I got mine. And yeah, that's not an exaggeration. That kind of stuff was happening. And like, if you can imagine, I, we're trying to fill 3,000 orders as quickly as possible and people are looking over each other's shoulders to see whose timestamp arrives sooner. And it's like, hey, you know, we're trying the best we can, but that's that's just too much for us. So we wanted to avoid that. Yeah, yeah. This company, you know, if it's not you and your product, it's hard to get the level of care. And they had a lot of problems and they've been having a lot of problems. And, you know, of course, some people are like, for example, Tombs of the Blind Dead, that steel book. They told us, yeah, we're going to do it. We're ready to ship. We're ready. We're ready. We're, we're ready. And we said, fine. You know, it goes live in two days. So get ready, you know, whatever. And then they decide they're moving and they didn't tell us. And it's a huge operation. It took them two weeks to move. They didn't ship a single package for two weeks. Mm. And they didn't send out, uh, uh, what, is, what is it called? The uh, tracking or anything. So you know, we're sitting here getting complaint after complaint after complaint. And we just decided actually yesterday that we're taking over the shipping of the Tombs of the Blind Dead and we're not going to be third partying the shipping anymore. We just, there's been too many complaints. Not that people aren't getting their product, but it's, it's, that the shipping company is taking too long and not being communicative. So everybody who ordered from us, got or is getting their product but <laughs> it's just not worth parceling it out if all we're going to do is get complaints so well, we we joke a little bit on on uh behind the scenes that you know so let's just take living dead of manchester morgue for example right mm -hmm. beautiful package let's say that there's is it is it right usually around three to four thousand copies kind of limited right is that kind yes. of a, yeah in that ballpark some a little more some a little less okay 
So, you know, of that, there's probably 100 people that, or maybe 200 that have seen the movie and love it and are buying it for that reason. And then there's another 2000 or so that are buying it because they maybe heard of it and it's a beautiful package and they want it. And then there's another group that just has to collect and sort of like, it's gonna sit on their shelf and they'll never watch it. And we have a hypothesis that it's the last group that is the one complaining. <laughs> it, it may be, I, I have no ax to grind with any of those folks. You know, people, I understand it. See, the difference is I'm now an old man. So I know that anything I ordered in my life, I have a whole life to look back on and say, you know what? None of it made any difference at all. It came in and went on a pile. Right. That's because I'm old. Younger folks, they want what they order. And that's why, you know, my daughter and I, when people call in or we, when we come into the office and we, we get shipments out faster than anybody, usually you order from us. And by the end of the day, your order's in the mail on its way to you. Because we know people want what they want. They want it. They want it. So I, I got no problem with that. That's awesome. um, I will say any of you guys out there that are like number three, watch Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. It's my favorite zombie film of all time. Oh, and, so uh, yeah, we put so much into that. We almost spent as much as we spent on Suspiria on that one. So it looks great. It sounds great. It's totally uncut. And it's such a great movie. It really needs to be seen. And if you can't afford the Steelbook, then buy the Blu-ray, you know, which is coming out. And uh, again, don't just do it for Synapse's benefit. You'll love the movie if you love zombie films. Well, this is what this is. So that last point, that's what's so interesting to me about where we are kind of in the history of, of physical media. Right. Because I think back in 2000 to 2010 ish, it was most people had DVDs of some sort. And so it was just a matter of like which ones you had, you know, like it wasn't really like, do you have DVDs or not? It was just like, are you more of an action person or horror or like, you know, right. whatever. Mm -hmm. but now it's because not everybody has a physical media collection anymore the what's being done is like a lot of these definitive editions of these movies now are sort of where where it's at right so this is there's there's never going to be a better version of manchester morgue out there it's impossible uh and and as people discover these movies they're being preserved through companies like you and that's what makes it so fascinating to me because you know was it it's jorge Grau, right is the, mm -hmm. the director yes or or maybe his producers they don't they don't have the means and the distribution to be able to kind of preserve and restore and, and, and get this out in, in a way that they would want to. So so it becomes the, you know incumbent on you to, to fill that void for them. Question for you. Did you open that Living Dead at Manchester Moore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, did you watch the Jorge Grau? Uh, we did a brand new documentary with him and it was completed just three months before he died. He just passed away. Okay, so in total honesty, I haven't. I've been meaning to watch it. I didn't realize that he died. That's yeah. crazy. But that's what. But that goes hand in hand with what you said about preservation. Nine, yeah, yeah. I'll show them the open that that. <laughs> oh, they oh they can't it's, see this. Yeah, oh. it's, a, it's a video. It's an audio only podcast. But, but look at the cover. See what we did with the cover. Turn it over. So you're oh you still have you got it. okay. You see that uh, that's called a tip on. Yeah. We use a certain kind of glue. So that's not going to tear. If you take it off carefully, it's supposed to come off and we cut it. So it fits inside the case nicely. 
So oh, now look at that. Oh, look at that. It's beautiful. So here's the story on that. We okay. had to go to our, our greatest artist, Wes Benscott. Okay. And I said, Wes, I want a wraparound steel book, a beautiful picture for Living Dead. He goes, what do you want? I said, I want you to figure it out. I yeah. Said, Your artwork is the most amazing of any of our artists. And you just give me something. So he did. And I showed it to Don and I said, couple things here. First of all, we can't put the title on the cover. He goes, why not? I said, because look at that art. What do you want to cover? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't cover any of it. Yeah. So I didn't want to even have a title on there, but we did. We put it on the spine. Yeah, right, right, right. But then I told him, I'm still not satisfied. There's too much of that art missing along the edges. So we did a poster that's inside of the full piece that Wes did. We didn't make any money, extra money off that. And it just cost us to do it, but we wanted you to have that because that is such a great piece of art. I mean, it's frameable. It really is. Do you see them holding each other? That's not on the front. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing. How do you cover, you know, I, so. That's what we do. We're more in love with the product than we are in the profit from the product. And I think that shows in the product. It definitely does. Um, well, you know, one, one, that brings up one question I had to, that I always find really interesting. So whether it's, you know, Lamberto Bava's folks or whether it's Jorge Grau's folks or whatever story you want to tell, whether it's Sargento's folks, I, I, whatever story you want to tell. What's that process like for reaching out to this, you know, these rights holders and saying, hey, we want to uh, we want to put out this movie and then kind of going one step further and figuring out supplements. Is there any way you can kind of walk through that process at all? Well, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Uh, we're known as really the uh, of the, the boutique labels. We're the restoration company. Okay. So generally. The movies come to us, not the other way around. It's not like okay. we're sitting there going, you know what? This is a great movie. Let's go after that one. Okay. What, what usually happens is after the producers or directors, whoever owns the film, have, have made enough money by giving it to other labels. At some point, they'll come to us and say, you know what? We just want this movie restored and preserved in a permanent way. So whatever. And then they bring it. They come to us and it's usually a pretty easy deal to make, oh. um, you know, because they know we're putting in so much money that we, we can't just give it, you know, a huge advance or whatever. And it comes to us. They're motivated to come to us when the, the person is just looking for the highest bidder. We never get those movies. Right. Never, never, never. Um, Without, without naming names, what, what are the kinds of properties where that's true? Is it sort of, you know, like, is it horror films from like the U.S.? Is it, you know, Italian genre? Like, like is there? What, what it all depends on who the rights holder is and yeah. his, his or her mental attitude. Okay. In other words, if she just wants to score as much money as possible, they'll put it out to the highest bidder. It's their right to do that. So it happens. Um, and there's even, I had a guy for a movie that everybody knows, but I don't want to mention his name or the movie, but it's been 
released by five or six different boutique labels because all he does is give people a two-year license. Hell, I can't restore, even restore the movie in two years, let alone yeah. have it out and, and whatever. There's too much work to be done. Hence, there's never been a nice version of that film. And I won't talk to the guy because it's just a waste of my time. You know, you know the answer already, right? Yeah, it's just a waste of my time. Why, why try and convince him when all he cares is about is the dollars? And you know what? Let me just say this. He's got every right. It's his property. I can't dictate how people should want to treat their films. I was talking to somebody who uh, um, was, was just on a whim. They were explored getting the rights to Peter Jackson's early movies. And uh, can you guess how much they're asking for, for um, uh, what's it called? Not brain damage. I have brain damage on the mind. Meet the Feebles? Uh, well, Meet the Feebles was one of them, but then uh, um, uh, Brain Dead. Uh, Do you know how much they're asking for for these? There's the same price for both movies. Uh, like, 150000 I, <laughs> I, I mean, I've offered more for other films. I mean, okay. it, it's not out of line. I mean, you know, Peter Jackson has a pretty wide audience out there. Sure, it's sure. not like you're doing some movie from somebody few people have ever heard of. Sure. Everybody knows Peter Jackson. Is that a guarantee? You know, we put out a movie called Homesick. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that in our thing, but the kid uh, was on the back lot. Do you remember what the back lot was? It was a reality TV show for filmmakers. And they were, they had like 24 filmmakers in a house and, and whatever. And, and this guy was the first, one of the first people, if not the first, tossed out he lost <laughs> right away but then he went on to do a bunch of other movies and he did a movie called your next which i'm sure you've heard of and then he did the newer version of the blair witch project which i'm sure you've heard of and then he went on to do you know a godzilla movie they gave him 300 million dollar budget but we have his very first movie homesick and his name hasn't helped it one bit. I wouldn't pay 150000 advance for it. <laughs> no. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's hard to know. But I, yeah, certain people, Jackson certainly has a, uh, well, anyways, not to go to cachet, you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. Those movies are so wild. No, it's a lot of money. It's definitely a lot of money. But when you say Peter Jackson, you know, I think, you know, remember, I'm the business end here. I think, oh. A lot of people know about that guy, Lord of the Rings, and you might get your you might get your investment back. King Kong, yeah, you'll you'll get some. You'll you know, again, you know, was 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 Dead Alive a great movie? Was Brain Damage a great movie? I don't know. They were fun, but I don't know if I'd call them great. So it, I, you do have a point. It is a risk. Yeah, they're sentimental, though, right? I mean, I remember. The first time that I saw Dead Alive, there's that scene with the lawnmower where, where he's just mow, mowing through zombies or whatever, like or aliens or whatever. Yeah. And like, I remember that. Like, you know, it's just one of those moments that you experience and you're like, okay, this is, it's almost like in that, that Spaghetti Western Django when he opens up that uh, coffin for the first time, you know? You're like, you just, there's certain things you kind of just remember as, as right, like, right. watching all these old movies. So I guess one of the questions I have for you then is uh, you mentioned that people come to you for these definitive restorations. I think that's super interesting. Um, but if it's getting harder and harder to do and you're having to specialize and you're having to, 
work harder for things now. Why do you still do it? What, what, uh, why is Synapse still, still around? I'm really happy you are. I yeah. just like, well, because it's, it, it's never really changed. We've done this from day one. We've done restoration work. The only thing that's different now is we're kind of more selective. If you look at our library, you'll see 300 movies. You'll see a lot of movies that people don't really care about or they haven't heard about. You know, when we started, I wanted to do great indie films because I always thought indie horror was the greatest, you know, not all clearly, but there's always some great indies that no one's ever seen. So that's how we started. And of course, I learned very quickly that nobody gives a damn about indie films. Nobody bought them. I mean, I have Night Train. I have uh, uh, that Japanese zombie movie, Undertaker. These are amazing movies. I have a movie that was actually banned in Italy. For real, it was banned. It was called Moritoris with gladiator zombies. Great movies. Nobody buys them. Um, so we're more now we're taking our time we're doing bigger movies and we've always taken our time so we're, we're releasing them in a way uh well another thing is we switched to a new distributor which has helped us a little bit so i mean look what else are we going to do i was in the steel business for 31 years and i retired i'm basically this is the love of my life this is a hobby that turned into a business that keeps a retired guy busy and it's Don's livelihood, but we've kept it small. So, I mean, we're not releasing a hundred titles a month or, or 25 titles a month or a quarter or whatever. We do a couple and they're always great. So yeah. our fans tend to, to buy whatever we put out and it keeps us in business. Well, um, I, I'm, I'm always, respect, you know, kind of aware of people's times. I asked you for about half an hour and I know you've, you've been gracious enough to go give me more than that. One of the things I always want to make sure I give time for is what's next for y'all in that case. So what, what are the, some things that you want to talk about, put on people's radar, not too far in advance so you don't get people angry about it. But. Well, we have, uh, you know, if people have been following along and they've been picking up on our 4Ks and our newer Blu-ray versions of Demons, Demons 2, Phenomena, we Tenebrae is coming. Um, a lot of people were asked us if we could do a special cover. Uh, they, you know, they liked the art for Phenomena, but they wanted an extra version that had the original art. So we thought, oh, okay. So <laughs> we're doing a few extra uh, Tenebrae with the original art. And those are selling out fast. So if you want those, uh, you should get on the website and get your pre-order in. Uh, then there's going to be a, a larger with our new art, which is absolutely stunning. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's another Wes, Ben Scotter cover, and it's just jaw-dropping. And the, the back cover is amazing, too. I, you know, when I get art like that, I scratch my head and I, I ask, how can people pr prefer the original art but then again, I'm no judge. You know, I people like what they like, and that's all there is to it. So we're happy to accommodate them. We do like the people who ask nicely, <laughs> you know, instead of the ones who say, hey, you guys are a bunch of a-holes. Why didn't you do this? That, you know, that kind of uh, annoys us a little bit. But the ones that say, 
you know what? We really appreciate the, the work you put into this. Uh, can you do a version next time that has the original art? And then we go, oh, absolutely. Sorry, we didn't do it the first time, you know? Um, that That's kind of how we are. We do have a couple of big movies, I don't want to say, but they're going to be in the fall. And I usually let Don do these type of announcements. But I'll tell anyone listening that there's some big, more big things coming from Synapse. You're going to be smiling after Tenebrae. Don't worry. Um, lots of things. So, you know, we're going to do this for as long as we can do it. You know, Don has had some medical issues and uh, he's had some surgeries and stuff like that, but he's, he's getting through them. And, uh, you know, look, we, we're not going to be around forever, as you can tell, because you can see me. But we are going to be around for a while, and there's going to be some more amazing things. Not a ton, because we're not, we don't spit out titles. We work on each one very, very, you know, thoroughly. So there is going to be some new stuff coming. But um, anyways, just stay tuned and and keep up. You know, I should mention, we do, we do our own podcast once a month on uh, the Synapse website which is www.synapse-films.com. And you can find it on Podbean. And uh, we got amazing merch. My daughter, you know, uh, graduated art school and she's helping us start our merch department. And uh, those t-shirts and hoodies on our site glow in the dark and they're pretty cool. And we want to do new designs every year. And uh, that's all I can tell you. Perfect. And where do you prefer people buy? They want you wanted to buy from your website. Is that the best? You could buy from anywhere. If you want to sit there and say, "Hmm, what supports Synapse the most?" It's clearly buying from our website because we get to keep all the money. If you buy it from Amazon, we get maybe a third of what you're paying. Um, but I tell the fans, go and get your best deal. Do. I, we have no preference. Go to us, go to Diabolic, go to Amazon, go to any store that carries us. Uh, everybody needs to eat. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be fine. Don't worry about us. <laughs> you know, just save some money if you can. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's clear that you have the buyers and kind of the collector's hand, you know, and heart and mind here. So I, that's come up several times. So you I know, heard- wait, wait. I just want to say you said that a few times. I just you know, a point clicked into my head. The reason why we're like this is because Don and I started as collectors. Okay. We met through an ad in Fangoria back in the days when Fangoria was on issue like number eight. They used to have um, free subscriber ads. So if you bought a subscription, you could put in one little ad. And I it was like the mid 80s. And and like I had a 400-pound beta deck. So I remember the first movie I ever taped off HBO was that first Star Trek movie. Okay. And it's like, oh my God, look, I got a movie, a real movie with no commercials, and it's uncut, and I can watch it whenever I want. Yeah. So I started taping everything. Mm-hmm. So I put that ad in and it was video traders wanted your list gets mine. And I got an ad from a, or a letter from a 14 year old kid. And I still have that in my desk. And that letter is 40 years old, Okay, but it's from one Don May Jr. 
14 <laughs> years old saying, here's my list of tapes. Can I have yours? And that's how him and I first met each other, so to speak. He lived in Illinois. I lived in Michigan. Years go down. We've been trading. We talk on the phone. He comes up for a visit. Uh, I get through college. He goes into college. He gets out of college. He starts uh, working at a Laserdisc store. Remember those Laserdiscs? I was in the steel business. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. But we were fans. We were always looking for the best version of this movie. Hey, I got a new version of whatever on tape. I'll trade you this. Uh And that's how we got our start. So when we design stuff, it's designed for us, for what we like. That's why I told you, take that tip on. The glue comes off and it fits right into the case. So if you get like a, a Paramount or a Fox or, you know, the major studios, a lot of times those tip-ons go over the top and stick up and you got to tear it off. You got to throw it away. You feel terrible as a collector because you're throwing away some of the packaging, but what else are you going to do? It won't fit unless you fold it into a little, right? So everything we do is like, if we were making this for ourselves, what would we want? This is what we want. That's why I said, I love that artwork. I want a whole poster because I want that piece of art. Yeah. yeah and it just so happens the collectors and fans, they it clicks with them. Well, why wouldn't it? I love it. Uh, do, you, do you collect still today? Are you still an active collector? Yes and no. I, you know, I've been married for 35 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife is pretty, I, I collected comic books and I still have a rather extensive collection, but that was the first one to stop being collected. Then uh, my VHS tapes, I had, a, you know, it was taking up a third of our house. I had to throw all them away. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I got, I got a, a couple of rooms in the house that were literally built to store DVDs and Blu-rays. Yeah. And now they're three rows deep and two thirds of my collection is in a giant walk-in closet in boxes because there's just too much. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm running into that problem. So as you can see behind me, there's, there's a woodland scene right there. Uh-huh. And that's a curtain that's covering about a thousand Blu-rays. And then that <laughs> one over there, that's about another thousand or so, 1500 or so. Why keep them covered? This is the kids' room. I'm in the, oh. I'm in the baby's room. <laughs> they don't want to see. They don't yeah. want to see the faces on the horror movies and stuff. You know. Awesome. Well, remember when they're old enough, keep them away from the slashers. But the monster movies, you can explain monsters don't exist. Oh, I, we've already started on Godzilla. We've started there. He's he's the old Godzilla movies where it's like the baby Godzilla and all that stuff. Like he's. I'm already starting him down that path for sure. That's but awesome. um, yeah. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, what a fun conversation. And, uh, and, and I'm going to keep supporting as long as you keep putting out. So you've well, been... thank you. And, and, uh, anytime, uh, you just give me a call and we'll talk anytime you want to talk. Awesome. I really appreciate that. All right. Thanks. Talk soon.